right, well, good morning to everyone. Let's start with a fun fact about me. As many of you know, recently my uh, oldest son started driving. He's now 17 years old. Yeah, he drives. We are living the good life in our house, okay? Because we just send him off to do whatever it is that we don't want to do, and it's fantastic, okay? Whatever we're paying, insurance and gas, it's absolutely worth it for being able to sleep in and just hear the two kids go to school in the morning by themselves and go back to sleep myself. But one of the things I noticed now that my son is driving is that I have become a more patient driver myself, especially if I see the sticker. You know the sticker, okay? The please be patient student driver. I, put, I had three of them on my kid's car when he was learning how to drive, okay? If you see that sticker, I have learned to become much more patient. So now, you know, in general... You know, patience isn't my thing, okay, so it's something that I'm, you know, I'm improving upon. So now when that person is, you know, it's 40 miles an hour and they're going 33, I've learned to be patient and no longer need to go right up to their head and just be patient and give them time because it's probably someone who's learning how to drive. You know, the person who has the perpetual blinker, okay, the perpetual blinker, okay, it means they just drive with that blinker on, it just, it's like background music for them, used to drive me crazy, doesn't drive me crazy. You know the, the, the signs where you get to the traffic light and you know you can turn on red. Some say no turn on red, but listen, this is important. Some just say stop here on red, but it doesn't mean you can't go. It just means you stop here. And if you're looking around like, what is he talking about? I might be talking to you, okay? So I've learned to be more patient with these people because I realize that they may be someone's kid is learning how to drive. But I got to confess, the one area where I cannot be patient the one area that makes me test all the Jesus inside me <laughs> is when the light is green and we're still there. <laughs> the light turns green and we're still there. And there's some people out there. Okay, so there's, there's two. Let's go. Okay, we'll get into the Bible stuff in a second, but let's, this is important, okay? So there's two reasons why this may take place that I am frustrated missing at my green light. Reason number one is that every light, I hope you know this, every light has a sensor, not every light, but most of them, they have a sensor, and if you don't scoot up far enough, you're too far back, the sensor never senses that you're there. So sometimes I meet people who are very, like, we love the Lord and we wait on the Lord, and like, like four cycles have gone through, and there they are, they're just sitting there, trusting at some point it's going to turn green, they need to scoot up a little bit, you need to scoot up, and if you're looking at me like, oh, you may be honked at a lot, is my guess, okay, if you have no idea what I'm talking about. But then the second one, the one that we all know, is when we're there, and the light turns green, and the person doesn't go. And they're just sitting there, probably checking their phone. Let's assume checking their phone. And what I'm thinking to myself is, everything in me is trying to be patient, but unlike you, Mr. I got nowhere to go in life sitting at the red light, or the green light, I got places to go and people to see. And I calculated the exact number of minutes needed for me to get from point A to point B. And I just simply, unlike you, don't have the extra minute and a half to waste my life here at this green light. To be honest, that takes everything inside me not to go crazy on this person. And like I said, it depends on how much Jesus I got in my day. Because there's nothing worse, agree with me than this, there's nothing worse than when you're trying to get somewhere and the person in front of you is stuck. Agree with me? Nothing, nothing is worse than when you are trying to get somewhere, you got somewhere you're trying to go, somewhere you need to be, and the person in front of you is content at a standstill, and they are stuck. 
You know who agrees with me? Minus the honking aspect of it, okay? Is God. I think God agrees with that statement. I don't think God would say it as rudely as I said it. I don't think God would, would glare at people the way I may glare or honk every now and then. But I think that God would feel the same way. You know why? Because life on this earth, Christian life, is not about staying still. It's about moving. It's a journey. It's a from point A to point B. It's a growth. And that's why if you look in the scripture, there are many verses that talk about walking and movement. Let me give you some examples. Like in the Old Testament, it talks about people who walked with God. This here, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. It talks about Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Now that walked with God doesn't mean a literal the way you and I would walk after dinner. Doesn't mean that. It means he journeyed with God. He moved forward to where God was leading him. New Testament, Jesus came and he called people to be his disciples. Come follow me, come walk with me. And it says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So again, it's not talking about the, you know, his gait okay, or his footsteps. It's not talking about physically how he walked. It's talking about the movement. And there's another example of when some people stopped walking with Jesus, and apparently that's pretty bad, John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And there's so many other references. Like there's verses about walking in the spirit, walking in the light, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So many verses that tell us about the importance in the Christian life of walking. And there's another verse that encapsulates it all, but it doesn't use the word walk. It uses a different word, Ephesians 4, 15. St. Paul says that we should no longer be children. We should no longer be children, but we should grow up. We should grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Christianity is not about stagnancy. Christianity is not about get to a certain point in time, put her in park, and sit still and just coast the rest of life. Christianity is about movement. Think of your spiritual growth like your physical growth. What would you call it if I have a child who is born and he's beautiful, and then he gets to one, and he's goo-goo-ga-ga and all that stuff, and it's cute, and it's whatever it may be, and he poops on his pants, and we change the diaper and all this stuff, and that's cute. But let's say it's 10 years later, and he's still goo-goo-ga-ga, pooping his pants. It's not cute. It's a sickness. It's a tragedy. And I think the same is true spiritually, is that spiritually, some of us, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but some of us are still goo-goo-ga-ga pooping in our pants, and some of us have gotten content with where we are and forgot that Christianity is never about reach a certain point in time. I was good back in 2006, and let me just kind of hit cruise control from there. Christianity is about growing up as much as anything else. So that's why if you ask me, when God is behind someone who's stuck at a green light, if it's a red light, okay, you stop. But when there's the light that's green and God is behind Sometimes God wants to give that divine honk as well. And sometimes God sees us at a standstill, at park, and we're not scooting up enough to make the light go. And God sees that we're missing out on opportunity. So God nudges up on us behind and gives a little bit of a, uh -uh, a little bit of a divine honk. And that's why I love this verse right here. It tells us what God's plan is for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Movement, growth. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, 
just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's an important verse. Transformed from glory to glory means we've reached this level of glory. And what does he want to do? Take us to the next level of glory. And then when we get there, we're like, this is the best. He wants to take us to the next level. Next level. We don't stop the journey until we reach the top. And what's the top? Is we are the image of Christ. That's the journey that we're all on. The journey isn't that we made it to church on Sunday. The journey isn't that we survived high school. The journey isn't that we got married. The journey isn't that we have kids and they're good kids. The journey continues. It's a journey of movement forward and upward in Christ. And that's why what I want to do as we start this series is I want to to jog your spiritual memories a little bit. I want to poke at it and see if we can discover, if we can remember back to the, quote, good old days. Do you remember that time? when you were not spiritually stuck? Do you remember the time where you were actively pursuing spiritual growth? Where you would say things like, where he leads me, I will follow, and you meant it. And you truly prayed and said, God, I want to do great things for you. I'm not content here. That was the time where you would wake up early to pray. You would set your alarm early. That was the time where you would stay up late and you would read their spiritual books or you'd read your Bible and, and, and your mom would say, go to sleep. And you'd be like, okay, five more minutes, five more minutes, because you just wanted to in, 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 intake as much as you could. That was back when you didn't binge watch series of shows or news or whatever. You binge watched sermons and you really could get, if you could get your hand on another sermon, another series, you would just jump into those things. Do you remember that time? Or is that so far long ago that you can't even remember it? Compare that with where you are now. And for many of us, if we're honest, we're stuck. We remember that, but it's a distant memory. And if you ask yourself, when was the last time I moved? When was the last time I grew? For some of us, we'd say the only movement I remember is backwards. Like we're at the light rolling backwards. With no sense of urgency. And what I'm saying It's just like that driver when I'm behind that car. Because I love the driver in front of me. Because I love the driver in front of me. I want him to get to where he needs to get to. Sometimes I give him a honk. And because I care about him. Well, actually, truthfully, that's not. Let me say it this way. (laughs) Truthfully, what I do, truthfully, what I do, when I see, sorry, the idiot driver in front of me who doesn't know he needs to scoot up and he's going to stay at that light forever and ever and ever and just, again, he's going to just, the second coming is going to come and he's going to still be at that light because he doesn't realize there's a sensor. What I do because I don't like to honk, like I'm kind of talking a little bit, I don't really like to honk because I'm a priest and I don't want people to like hate God because of the mean priest. So I just go around. You know what? I recognize, you can spot them a mile away. This person is, they're, they're camping out that light. Okay, enjoy that right there. I just go around. I just make a right turn, make a U-turn. But you know what? Because God loves us, he doesn't go around. God could easily go around you. God could easily go around you. And God could say, you know what? That person, they're to stand still. They don't get it. Like I've sent them messages. They're just, they're content. There's no sense of urgency Go around. Let's just choose somebody else. Let's just choose somebody else. And I'm sure the angels are like, come on, that's enough with this guy. You got like 8 billion people on the planet. Like, just choose another one. He ain't that special. Like, let's just go around. Let's find another family to bless. Let's find another person that we want to invest in their spirit. Like, let's just find someone else. But God's like, no. I love this person. I care about this person. Honk. And if we wake up, good. If we don't wake up, honk even more. And if we're still there, then he, like I said, he nudges us up on us. And he might even give a little love tap, bumper to bumper, every now and then. Because he loves us. He doesn't want to see us stuck there. Because life with God is about growth. It's about moving forward and upward towards his divine calling. And if God sees us stuck, he will do whatever it takes to get our attention. 
Because Christian life is about growth. Christian life is about movement. Christian life is about going forward and upward towards our divine calling. We're kicking off a series today called Fearless, and it's the story of Gideon. Gideon is a character that you may have heard his name, but most people don't know much about his story. He's a relatively unknown guy who only appears in three chapters of the scripture, Judges 6, 7, and 8. That's all we know about Gideon, those three chapters. But his story is a powerful one, because when we find Gideon, both he individually as well as the people of God collectively are at a standstill. They're stuck. They're at a moment in time in their history where God has been moving them, moving them, moving them, moving them, but then all of a sudden, they put her in park and they were stationary. Quick history of the people of Israel. They were slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years, and they were stuck, and then God came and said, enough. He opened the gates, and he said, we're going to bust our way out of here. Let's move. The people left there. They're moving through the wilderness. They took a wrong turn here and a wrong turn there. Took them 40 years, but eventually they wandered their way through. They were moved their way through. They get to the promised land. When they get to the promised land, God says, this whole space, this is all yours. You own the whole thing. Any place that your, your foot stomps on, that, that place belongs to you. You only got to do one thing. Only got to do one thing is as you walk through the land, any of the inhabitants, you get rid of them. You defeat them all. and You kick them out of the lane. Don't leave any of them there. What happened to the Israelites? They said, no, we're good here. We're okay sharing. Sharing. Sharing is caring. We're okay. And they didn't kick out all the, all the inhabitants of the land. They allowed them to dwell with them. In other words, what they said is, we're good here. It's good enough. We're content where we are. And they got complacent. Maybe it was the life of freedom. Okay, because before they were slaves, and they didn't know freedom. Now they had freedom, so they're like, okay, kick out all the inhabitants. Okay, we'll get there when we get there. But now, let's enjoy. Let's build homes. Let's plant fields. Let's plan for our retirement. Like, they got a little bit distracted by the cares of this world. Before that, they had a pilgrim mindset. They're always marching. They're always moving. They're always trying to get somewhere. Once they got there, they're stuck. So this is where we meet the character Gideon. And like I said, what happens with Gideon is what I'm calling today's message the divine honk of when God comes and says, uh -uh, let's move. We're stuck right here, and we'll see how that plays out in the life of Gideon. Let's get a little context of the book of Judges, because like I said, Gideon's story is in Judges 6, 7, and 8. The book of Judges is a very simple book to understand. We know what happens before Judges. That's like Moses and Joshua, the is, like I said, the Egypt, and then the wilderness, and then they get to the promised land. That's Joshua. And then when they're in the promised land, that's the book of Judges. After there is where you have like the kings of David and Solomon and all that stuff in that division. So we're in that period in between. After Moses, Joshua, before David, Solomon. And why I'm saying it that way is because there is no leader for the Israelites. They don't have like a president or a prime minister. What they have is God as their head, but God raises up for them judges every now and then. We hear judges, we think of a guy in a black robe sitting on a court saying, guilty or innocent. It's not that kind of judge. It's nothing legal. It's nothing political. A judge, think of it as a tribal leader. It was someone that God would raise up to gather the people together because the people needed help. And to understand why the people needed help, I'm going to show you the first verse of Judges 6. We're going to read, we're going to read a passage from Judges 6. I'm just going to show you the first verse. gives you all the context that you need. Judges 6, verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. This is not a good start to the story. This is how the entire book of Judges goes, which is the people, God blesses them. God gives them the land. God gives them everything that they need. 
And then he tells them to do something. And then they're like, well, we don't really want to do it now. And we'll get to it later. And then they put God on the side. And when they put God on the side, what happens is they start to suffer. Okay, let me show you the last verse of the book of Judges, which this verse is repeated like four or five times throughout. In those days, Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? People making up rules as they go along. As there was no moral absolute. There was no authority that defined how people behaved. Everyone just kind of did what they want. People made it up as they went along. And the end result of that was a cycle, which is called the judge's cycle, which is basically this, start at the top. The people would rebel against God. They would choose to ignore his commands, and that would lead to a reward, which led to a repentance, which led to rescue. When I say reward, that means like a consequence. Okay, the reward, usually we think of it positive, but you could also say it negative. Okay, God rewards each one according to their works. So the reason I chose the reward is because I wanted to all start with R. That's why, in case you're wondering. Okay. Re- rebellion, reward, repentance, rescue. The people would rebel against God. Tell me if this sounds familiar. The people disobeyed God. They found themselves in a tough situation. They had a consequence of it. When they had that consequence, they repented. We love you, God. We need you, God. Please save us. And God sends a rescue. And then once God rescues them, they do what? They forget about God, and they go through the same cycle all over again. This is the whole book of Judges. This is the story of our lives. Like This is very familiar to us. The reward part is where we're finding the Israelites right now. They rebelled against God, and they had the consequence, not a punishment. Parents, we know the difference, right? This is not a punishment. God doesn't punish his people. God allows us to have what we asked for. God said, if you choose me not as your king, okay, you can choose me not as your king. You chose that you don't want me to be your leader. Okay, fine. The Midianites can be your leader, or the Ammonites can be your leader, or the Philistines can be your leader. That's basically the whole story, and that's the story of our lives is God doesn't kick us out of his family ever. But we choose and say, I don't want you as my father. I don't want to follow your rules. So God says, okay, I'll allow that. And what they end up doing is they end up serving the Midianites. And then after the Midianites, like I said, it's the Philistines. And after them, it's somebody else. So let's now go back to Judges chapter 6, and let's read the story with that context in mind. Judges 6.1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. We'll pause the story right there. Israelites, the story starts off, they're hiding in dens and caves. Why? Why would the people of God, who God said, this land is your land, this land belongs to you, why would they be outside the land in dens and caves? Well, because like I said, they were reaping what they had sown. What they had sown is they allowed the Midianites to now take over because they didn't destroy them when they were supposed to. They didn't obey God. And the Midianites would come in every year for seven years and do what? 
Every year at harvest time, the Midianites would come in, take all the crops that they wanted, as much as they could fill their baskets, they would steal all the crops, the crops that the Israelites spent all year planting and sowing and watering and cultivating and all year. The way it works was you worked all year for the harvest time. You work winter, spring, and summer to get to the fall harvest. You kept working, working, working. Israelites did all that work. Harvest comes around, Midianites come in, take as much as they can carry. And what they couldn't carry, what did they do with it? Just leave it? They destroyed it on the way out. So I can only carry all these kinds of corn, destroy the rest of the corn, burn the rest of it. They ravaged the land. And this had happened not once, not twice, not three times, but how many years? Seven years in a row. Which is why many of them were afraid. They were in hiding. They left their homes. They were hiding in the mountains. They were in the, in the desert. They were scared, and they were doing whatever they could to protect themselves and their families and their livestock. When we meet Gideon, the people of Israel are being dominated by fear. And I think that's a perfect picture of how a lot of us might be living today. But the good thing is, just like today, God meets them in that place. Verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you, watch now what he says right here. He says, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Look, sometimes we have funny thoughts in our head. I hear this all the time of like, why in the Old Testament God is so mean and God is so judging, and he's not grace, and he's not mercy. Anyone who says that, all due respect, has never read the Bible. Because the Old Testament shows the grace of God much more than the New Testament. Much more. Much more mercy in the Old Testament than the New Testament. Just look right here. Look how many times these foolish Israelite people, just read the whole book. They make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And every time, I'm thinking to myself, this is enough with these people. And God says, one more chance. One more chance. And I'm the reader. I'm like, no, no more chances. They stink. They're the worst. God says, one more chance, one more chance. I remember when I was a kid, I have an older brother who's a year older. Then I have a younger brother who's nine years younger. Okay? So it's kind of like the two of us right here and then my younger brother. And when we were growing up, we used to play video games. Who of the three of us do you think was the best at the video games? The little one. So annoying. So he's like five okay and we're like in high school and we're playing video games and he beats us every single time he beats us every single time and he would beat us and he like not just beaten like good game no gloating and bragging and like you know like running up the score and then finally every once in a blue moon like once in a blue moon, the sun from heaven would shine down upon me or my older brother and the glory of God would appear and we could actually win a game. Every now and then, once in a blue moon, we could win a game. You know what my younger brother would do? Pull the plug. <laughs> yes, exactly. He would pull the plug and we would then go ballistic on him. We would go crazy. and we start. But he was smart because he knew he only had to endure about six seconds. That's what it came down to. Six seconds of beating before my mom came rushing down the stairs. And my mom, what would my mom do? What would every mom do in that situation? You got a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old, and you got a 5-year-old or a 6-year-old. What would the mom say? No, 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 it's okay. He didn't mean it. No, he meant it. 
And no, 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 he's young. No, he's not young. And no, 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 just, and she make excuse after excuse after excuse. And you're like, you want to kill him? But you can't. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is the same way. God is the same way with the Israelites. You're like, these people are dumb. These people are foolish. These people are rebellious. And God's like, no, 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 they didn't mean it. No, 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 they're young. No, no, no. You see, they're, they're not that bright. They, were, they took them 40 years to do like a 15-minute walk. They're not that smart. Okay, just give them a break. <laughs> because our lesson here, our lesson, is that even though we are slow to repent, God is never slow to respond when we do. Even though we are slow to repent, God is never slow to respond when we do. God's response is never destroy the people. God's response is never, how could you be afraid? God's response is never, what, what got into you? As Christ said, I did not come to judge the world. I came to save the world. I didn't come to tell you how bad you are. I didn't come to tell you, how could you be afraid, Gideon? I didn't come to tell you that you guys messed up. I came to save you and to help you. That's exactly what he does right here. He sends the prophet, and the prophet came and then said, look, I brought you guys up out of Egypt. Remember when, remember when I brought you out of Egypt? Or sorry, the prophet says that God brought you up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, delivered you from your enemies. You were hungry in the desert, he fed you. You were thirsty, he fed you. You were lost, didn't know where to go, he sent you a pillar of cloud. You said, we can't see the cloud at night, it's too dark. I'm making a pillar of fire. Like, what you need? Anything you needed, I provided for you. And me and you were sitting there and saying, enough. Enough with these people. Don't give them any more. And God says what? One more chance, one more chance. They're young, they're young. They didn't know, they didn't know. There's one more chance, one more chance. God never loses patience. And I'm going to pause the story right here, and I want to kind of look everyone right here in the eye. If I could look everyone in the eye, I would look you in the eye. And I want to ask you a question. We talked about being stuck earlier. If I asked you to tell me a story of God's work in your life, could you tell me? Like, if I asked you, not right now. Okay, thank you, though. Who was going to volunteer? Okay. If I asked you, you got a story? Like, did God ever work in your life? God ever speak to you? God ever do anything of value? Like, did he? Because we, 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 we walk around like, like, there's, like it's just enemies. We walk around like there's just bad guys. We walk around like there's just circumstances. But God appears right now. He sends a prophet, and he's like, hey, y'all remember? So I'm asking you the same question. You got a story? Because I bet you you do. I bet you if you think hard enough, you could tell me a story, I bet, about forgiveness when you were at your worst. I bet you you could tell me a story when you were forgiven at your absolute worst. I bet you you could tell me a story about a blessing or a grace that you received that you didn't deserve it, that you actually deserve the exact opposite, and I bet you you could tell me a story. I bet you you could tell me a story of one time, come on, you know you have this story, when you were in a jam, you had to appear in front of whatever. You were guilty and you deserved... And then you begged God and cried to God, and somehow he got you out of the jam. You got that story, don't you? Everyone's got that story. Like, is there anyone that doesn't have a story about God? Well, if you got a story, and I got a story, and everyone's got a story, then my question is, what happened? How did we get here? How did we get stuck? How did, I think God would be saying to me, I'm not saying to you, but he would definitely be saying to me, how'd you forget me so quickly? Like, how'd you forget? Like, I parted the Red Sea. That doesn't happen every day. I brought food from heaven. I, I, I made water come out of a rock. Not out of a water fountain. Out of a rock. And you forgot? You're stuck? It's just fear? I think 
Verse 10. I think God would say this to us, Judges 6.10. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. God would say, remember me? Why are you afraid of them? Do you see what he's saying right here nicely? Because God is so nice. He's saying, why are you afraid of them? You know who you should be afraid of is me. Not in an afraid way, but in a fear of God way. Why are you afraid of them? You afraid of them? You should be afraid of me. You should fear me. You should respect me. You should reverence me. They shouldn't be your gods, like some of us, if we're honest. Our gods today are fear. We worship the God of fear. Fear comes and says, Don't do that. Don't take that step. What will happen to your family if you do that? We say, Yes, fear. And fear comes and says, No, no, you can't, you, you, you can't stop that, or else you're gonna lose everything that matters to you. You could get sick. You could lose your, your, your retirement. You could miss out on this. And we say, yes, fear. And we worship fear, whatever fear says. And God says, you're, 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 that's your God? Instead of walking in faith, many of us today find ourselves hiding in fear. And what it comes down to, look what he made the connection. He said, do not fear, but you not obeyed my voice. Look, I'm gonna say it this way. Being stuck comes from not obeying. And not obeying comes from being afraid. And what I should have said up there, being afraid of the wrong thing. Being stuck comes from not obeying. Not obeying comes from being afraid. That's how the Israelites found themselves here. That's how we find the sorry state that they're in, hiding in fear in the caves. How did we get here? Because I told you, I gave you a command, do not be afraid, I am with you, kick out the inhabitants. You refused, you were afraid of the wrong people, and that's why you ended up where you are today. Being stuck comes from not obeying. Not obeying comes from being afraid. And the grace of God is, it's exactly in that low, 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 pitiful, sad state that God enters the story. He first sends in the prophet, but now he calls Gideon. And Gideon is a parallel to the people of Israel. So everything I said about the people of Israel in fear, Gideon encapsulated the most. We're going to enter the story of Gideon right now in verse 11 says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, this verse doesn't seem like it has much to it, but this verse tells us a lot about Gideon. And the key part is the part that's highlighted there is that Gideon is threshing wheat in a winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Gideon is our hero for these next five weeks, but Gideon is not a typical hero. You think hero, you think somebody of supernatural strength or courage or is flipping tires in the thing, okay, like the, whatever it may be. You think someone who can do heroic feats. You think someone who has an ability that no one else does. Well, I got news for you. That ain't our man Gideon. Gideon's about, a, forgive me, Gideon, that's about as sorry and tired a hero as you will ever see. If you had to ask Gideon, say, people, give me characteristics of Gideon, people would say fear people would say insecurity, people would say timidity, people would say Gideon is the last fool that you would expect to be a great hero for God. And he's the one that God chooses right here. And you can see his character by saying what it says right there. He threshed wheat in a wine press. You don't usually thresh wheat in a wine press. In fact, a wine press is the opposite of where you would thresh wheat. Wine press is for wine, stomping grapes, a wheat should be on a threshing floor. What's the difference? 
A threshing floor where you would normally thresh the wheat is an open air space. Okay, a big open area out because you needed the breeze and the air to help in the process. Because with the way you do it is you would take a stalk of wheat and what they would do is first they needed it to be dry. So the air needed to dry it all out because then they would take this wooden paddle and they would beat the stalk of wheat. And what would happen is that there's two parts to the wheat, the chaff and then like the good part, like the grains part. The chaff is the light part. So when you're in the open air, the chaff would get blown away. Okay, think of it like, you know, those little flowers where you go and a thing flies away. That's like chaff. So you needed to be in the open air so it would fly away. And then the grainy part is the heavier part would fall to the ground, you'd sweep it up, you'd be done in no time. A wine press was the exact opposite. A wine press was a place that was in a cave, in a dark space. It was damp, it was musty, it was humid because you would stomp out the grapes and the moisture would help you in that process to make them like easier to, to, to stomp on. Why is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press? Answer, he's afraid. He's hiding. Gideon is making the job 10 times more difficult for himself, but he's doing so out of fear. Because you see what fear does? In fact, I picture him as he's in this wine press, this closed space, and he's threshing this thing. I picture Gideon, again, exact opposite of what you'd see in a hero. Hero stands like this. Hero looks like this. I picture Gideon as he's doing this as quietly as he could so nobody heard him. And I picture if there was like a rustling of the leaves, Gideon would hide. And Gideon would duck. And every time there was a noise, and you're like, that's our hero? Now, that's a man who's hidden, who's hiding in fear, who's not walking in faith. He's cowering in fear. But that's exactly where God meets him. That's a, I can't emphasize this enough. It's in his fear that God comes and says, I love you. I care about you. I got big plans. Honk. I want to make something great out of you. Honk, honk. You're dead asleep at the green light, Gideon. Honk, honk, honk. Verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. Upon which Gideon heard that and he's like, like looked around like, who are you talking about? Mighty man of valor. Other translations say valiant warrior. At this moment in time, Gideon is neither valiant nor a warrior. Like there's a war. He's hiding. He's not valiant. He's a coward. So Gideon is called valiant warrior, mighty man of valor. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But you see how God, what does God see? God doesn't see as man sees. It's like when he went to St. Peter and said, Peter, I'm going to build my, 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 my church on the rock, which is you and your faith. And Peter's like, what? He gave him that name because God sees, just like with Gideon, God doesn't see us as we see ourselves. God doesn't see us as we feel about ourselves. This is so important. What God says about you is more important than what you say about yourself. What God says about you, I know what you say about yourself. I'm no good. I'm bad. I could never. I'm weak. I'm the youngest, whatever it may be. I know what you say about yourself. That's very nice. I don't really care. What matters is what God says about me, not what I say about myself or what I feel about myself. Verse 13. Gideon responds as a mighty man of valor. Look how he responds. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why has all this happened to us? And where are his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? 
but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. I think it's a fair question. The Lord is with you. Where? Because all I see is Midianites. All I see is oppression. All I see is they steal our stuff like, Lord is with us. Where is it? How many of us ask that same question? God is with you. It's going to be great Lent. God is with you. God's going to work. God's with me. How come my mom's sick? How come mom's sick? How come my kids struggle? How come my marriage broken? God is with me? Where's God's with me? You want to come with me to work? Well, I could use God at work. How come I'm alone? How come I'm not alone? These are all great questions. And these are questions that we believe deserves an answer. God disagrees. God doesn't answer the question. You know what God gives instead? Honk. Dad doesn't care about the question. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go. Honk. Go. Right? Go. God says, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Gideon had this whole speech about, like, why this, and how come this, and I feel bad about this, and God's like, hmm, honk. Go. Go in this might of yours. What you standing there for? Go and save Israel. Go and stop hiding. Go and stop complaining. Go and obey what I tell you to do. The reason that you're in this thing is because you didn't go from the start. So go. And remember, remember, the reason that you're stuck, Gideon, the reason that you and the people of Israel are stuck is because you didn't go when I told you to go. You sat there at the red light because you were scared. You were afraid to do what I commanded you to do, and that's why you're stuck. So the only way to get unstuck is to go. Go. Go defeat the enemies that I told you to defeat before. Go obey the command that I gave you in the beginning, and you're too scared to do it. Go. Honk. Let's go. Gideon. Response, Gideon's not convinced, shall we say. Verse 15. So he said to him, I don't know what Gideon's voice sounded like, but I would imagine it's kind of whiny in this. First, I'll go with a whiny impression. Okay, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Boo-hoo, woe is me. God says, valiant warrior, and you're like, like Gideon, I'm trying to like see you as a hero. Like I'm trying to talk you up here. Like I'm trying, but you can't, you're not helping me. I can't, and I'm small, and my family's small, and I'm the smallest in my small family. Like, come on, man. You're supposed to be the hero. You're the valiant warrior. God again responds. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Again, God doesn't answer him. God doesn't say. God says, I commanded you. Go. I'm with you. Go. It's always that way. God meets us in our most difficult circumstances. God meets us when we're at our lowest. God meets us in the place where we're like, I can't. And he calls us to do something great. Say it this way. We see weakness as a limitation. God sees that as an opportunity. We see weakness as a limitation. God sees it as an opportunity. Gideon was everything a hero should not be. But God said that's perfect. Because it's the perfect opportunity to unleash my power in his life. Now, I want to make this practical. I want you to think right now. I want you to think of a circumstance in your life 
that you're going through, that you hate, that you complain about, that you in your mind have convinced yourself is a reason why God cannot work in your life. The situation at home, the situation at work, my health, my spouse's health, my, uh, my weakness, my sinfulness, my struggle, my addiction, like whatever it may be. Think of the things that you think disqualify you from being great in God's eyes. And when you think of that, comp- look at Gideon. And just like with Gideon, God looks at you and says, I don't see all that mess that you see. You see that because you look at the outward appearance, but I look inside. You look outer, I look inner. You look circumstances, I look at potential when you would obey me. I look at the potential if if you would walk with me in life and we would move forward. God sees all that power, all that potential. And he knows, listen carefully, he knows what going will unlock in your life. He knows what going will unlock in your life. He knows what that much courage, Gideon, give me that much courage. And I know if you give me that much courage, you will experience things you've never experienced before. And you will reach new heights that you've never reached before. Because the Christian life is not about being stagnant. It's about moving forward and upward for divine, God's divine call. But you need to go. And if you don't go, I'm going to give you a little love honk. And if you don't, I might give me a little bit louder. Because I need you to go. I want to give you two verses. And these two verses, all of life, I believe, can be lived in these two verses. Two of my favorite verses, for sure, if you've listened to my sermons for enough, you've heard me speak about these two verses. First is Lamentations 3.37, the other one's Romans 8.28. I'll put them up here, but just Lamentations 3.37 and, and Romans 8.28. All of life is in these two verses. Lamentations 3.37. Let's read this together because it's so important. I would love for you to memorize it. Read it with me. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? You've got to memorize verses like this because everything in life, this is important, everything in life is one of two things, either God allowed or God ordained. Everything in life is either God allowed or God ordained. That's what this verse says. It says that there's no one out there, no boss, no relative, no sickness, no nothing that speaks and it comes to pass unless God either allows it or ordains it. I don't want to get into the difference between them right now. But all I'm saying is anything in your life, anything in your life cannot come to you unless it has passed through the hands and the fingers of God. Nothing comes to me unless it's passed through God's fingers of love and care and wisdom and sovereignty. Nothing gets to me. Nobody opens his mouth and it happens unless God allows it. Nobody shuts his mouth unless God allows it to be shut. Nothing happens unless it is God allowed or God ordained. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that will and will being perceived? Everything is God allowed or God ordained. Let me give you the second verse right now that goes on the flip side of that coin. Romans 8, 28. Read it with me. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. We know that everything is God allowed or God ordained, and we know if it's in my life, it's passed through his hands, and if it's in my life and passed through his hands, then there's a purpose. There's a reason. There's something that God wants to do. So let me tell you this way. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to think about this answer this week. You might not be where you want to be, 
But did you ever stop to consider that you're exactly where God has you and it's for a reason? You might not be where you want to be, but did you ever stop to consider that you're exactly where God has you and it's for a reason? There's a time in my life I look back to and I, when I read this question, when I was in college, I was, I didn't start off my college years very close to God, kind of away from God, like I was kind of one foot in, one foot out, you know, I was young and what, whatnot, and by the time I ended my college, it was the exact opposite, and what happened was my, my third year, okay, my family went through some stuff together, and I was away at college, okay, I was down in Charlottesville, so I was a couple hours away, and my family was going through some stuff back home, and you know, without going into details, it was, it was some tough times, okay? And I'm not an emotional person or a tough person, but, you know, it's not easy. And the most not easy part of it is when you're not there. Like if your family's going through a tough time and you could be there, but then you feel like, you know, you're the kid and, they, and like you're in your own world. Anyway, you very rarely hear me say what I'm about to say, okay? But at that point in time, I remember going through that situation, and I remember I would come home and, you know, whatever, and I'd go back to school, and I'd be all by myself, and I remember feeling two things, very rare, those who know me, very rare to hear me say that I felt these two things. I felt alone, and I felt afraid. And I'd never admit that at the time, but I can admit it now. I felt alone, and I felt afraid. You know, I look back on it now, truthfully, in front of God, I was exactly where God wanted me to be. I hated it. I wouldn't be where I am today without that. I look and I said, God, I hated being alone. I hated being scared like that. I hated feeling like there's nothing I could do. And I promise you, I promise you, I look back today and say, I wouldn't change a thing. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I was never alone, I would have never learned how to be friends with him. If I'd have never been afraid, I'd have never learned what courage means and what it means to go when you don't want to go. I wanted the situation to end, to go away. What did God want? Honk. He wanted me to go. I wanted it just game over. God says, no, not game over. Honk. You go forward. You go upward. You go because I am with you, and I was with you then, 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 and I did, and I did, and I did, and now I'm telling you, you don't understand it. Like, I'm not going to answer your question. I want to say, why, God? And God's like, you wouldn't understand it if I told you. You wouldn't understand it if I told you, so you know what? Just go. That's what you understand. You understand, honk, go, obey, I'm with you. And I think that's what he wants to say to every single one of us as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. We're going to see this verse throughout this series. It says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. We find Gideon today running for his life, hiding in a cave as low as possible. But I'm telling you, what makes Gideon's story so great is that he starts so low. If Gideon didn't have the crisis, if Gideon wasn't so weak, if the situation, we see weakness as a limitation, God sees it as an opportunity to show forth his power and unlock his potential in our lives. And if it wasn't for Gideon's tough time, the story wouldn't be as great. So, as we leave here today, what I want you to consider for this week, we're going to discuss this in our life groups. Hopefully everyone signed up for a life group. We're going to discuss Gideon some more and go a little bit deeper in chapter 6. But what I want you to consider this week is whatever cave God finds you hiding in, whatever standstill you're at, I want you to see 
God is making the light turn green and it's time to go. And if you go, great. If you don't, don't be surprised if you get a little love honk from God. It's because he cares about us, because he loves us, because he wants to make us great. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone or at a standstill. Many of us, Lord, find ourselves stuck, stagnant, complacent, but Lord, we don't want that. So we thank you, Lord, for this wake-up call, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see where you're honking at us and where you're telling us to go, and you'd give us the courage, Lord, to act in faith. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. 